Support for To The Point comes from Bausch & Lomb. Beautiful and healthy looking eyes? It shouldn't be a compromise. Lumify Eye Illuminations, developed by the experts at Bausch & Lomb exclusively for the sensitive eye area. To cleanse, nourish, and brighten. Lumify Eye Illuminations, only in the eye care aisle. Ocular surface disease. It's complex, chronic, and progressive, but rife with opportunity for the enterprising optometrist. The mission of this podcast is to make this condition more understandable and accessible to those interested and specializing in it. So let's get to the point. Welcome to another episode of the To The Point podcast. My name is Jackie Garlick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Leslie O'Dell, and we are thrilled to have a friend and colleague on the podcast with us. Dr. Doug DeVries is with us today, and I want to talk a little bit about Dr. DeVries. He co-founded iCare Associates of Nevada in 1992, and since then has limited his practice to surgical co-management and diseases of the eye. His specific area of interest has been an ocular surface disease, which, which makes up the majority of his clinical practice. Dr. DeVries lectures to colleagues ex extensively, both nationally and internationally on anterior segment eye disease. He's the director of the Optometric Residency Program and Optometric Fourth Year Intern Program at iCare Associates and is an associate clinical professor of optometry. And then here is the coolest part. He is a multi-engine instrument rated pilot and he flies with his colleague monthly to smaller Northern Nevada communities to assist in surgery. When he's not working, he enjoys traveling, scuba diving internationally, and riding his motorcycle. He's also an avid skier, hiker, and marksman. This is an amazing bio. I need to like do more creative things, I think, with my time. Yeah, can you stop making the rest of us look so bad, Doug? <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Doug. Thank you for being here with us. Oh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm honored to be here. So we want to kind of dedicate this podcast to the um, fairly common yet sometimes elusive nocturnal lag ophthalmus that we see in our dry eye patients. And we thought you would be a great person to talk about this. I know you've done research in this area. And maybe we can just start out with um, how do you, you know, your practice is pretty much dedicated to ocular surface disease. So how do you identify these patients in your practice and, and what testing are you doing to determine if there's an improper lid seal or lag ophthalmus issue? You know, all great questions. And uh, what I've really done and, and I've noticed through my practice, because I, I tend to see some very advanced patients uh, along with, uh, you know, some early patients. And one of the frustrations I've had is patients that are recalcitrant and they're not responding. And over the years, it's one of the things that's driven me is to try to find out what the underlying etiology is of that. And what it kept on coming up with uh, was that etiology was some type of lid misalignment that caused nocturnal desiccative stress on the cornea. And depending on how much and at what point they, the patient was in their life, it seems like if they were younger, they compensated very well. But when they hit a certain point uh, in their life, particularly uh, in females, a perimenopausal area, in, uh, in males, just somewhere in their 50s, 55, 60, that they stopped compensating. And so uh, what it really boiled down to was I mean, it's almost a calculatus uh, eliminatus where you put an X where it isn't until you have no more space left and that's what it is. 
And uh, that's really what I did over the years uh, was to define and I had such a high percentage of my patients that did that. So what I started doing is looking at this and saying, well, number one, your question, how do you identify that? And what I found is if you, if you look at the lids and the lids uh, don't have a raging demodex or staph blepharitis, and you ask the patient, how do your eyes feel first thing in the morning or at night when you wake up? And if they don't have some type of a profound blepharitis going on and they have discomfort, it's from some type of lid misalignment. And it can be frank nocturnal agophthalmos, or it can be just a, uh, a, a lid misalignment that lets the air seep through. And these patients always have a very common theme and it's like, you know, they'll say, oh yeah, my spouse likes to have a ceiling fan on, or they like to have this and they don't deal well with any type of air moving past them at all. Uh, there are certainly much more sophisticated things you can do, but in terms of ease of diagnosing, and I think now that becomes one of the first things any new patient I have, I ask them is, how do your eyes feel first thing in the morning? And if they say, no problem, they're great in the morning. Okay, we can rule that out to beginning. But if they say it's difficult, they're scratchy, they're dry, I want to put a drop in, they feel better after I get in the shower, any of those things indicates that they have desiccative stress due to some type of lid misalignment. Now, you can do a more advanced uh, test too, and which I have done on all of these patients to kind of narrow this down and come up with the ease of diagnosis, and that you can shut down the lights except for uh, you know a little stand light against the wall, have the patient lean back, just gently close their eyes, and not squeeze them, shut but gently close their eyes and do the core blackie light test where you put a transilluminator up on the upper lid and see if you have any light bleeding through. And when you do, it'll look anywhere from very subtle light coming through to looking like a jack-o'-lantern where you just see this big smile coming through at the, uh, at the lid margin. So you can do those tests, but what I also look for on these patients, and many of them have this, is they'll have this linear PEK. They will have this and it's non-resolving. And that's what I mean is somebody gets more, you know, along uh, and they stop compensating is when you see somebody and they're, uh, they're a younger patient, if you see them in the morning, they'll have that. They're not all that bothered by you. By the afternoon, it's gone. They've healed. And it's that patient that no longer heals that you really drive. And then those are the patients that also you're scratching your head and say, why are they not responding to drugs everybody else responds to? Why are they not really moving? And uh, on this, and, and you're saying, okay, I'm going to you know, get into, and most of those patients then have meibomian gland dysfunction as well from that inflammation. But I always use the analogy it's like putting a house fire out with a garden hose with some of the medications that if you have so much inflammation and then you're throwing these anti-inflammatory meds on, you may just not have enough power to do it unless you calm that. Now, you know, in the past, what I've used, and this is, the, I guess, the frustration where it's really been going on for probably 15, 17 years is trying to find a way to take care of this. And it's the gels and the ointments and some of the uh, the medical tape and lid weights and all these different modalities to try and then and then using some kind of moisture uh, chamber using something like tranquilize and 
but the commonality of this is it was very difficult to get compliance. And it was also very frustrating for a patient to really accomplish it. So it wasn't a high hip rate in terms of patient. But when you would get somebody that could wear moisture goggles, they would feel so much better. And they weren't even, that wasn't eliminating the lid seal inefficiency. That was just keeping it in, in humidity. So, and this is, uh, this is something that just really has, has plagued me for a long time of trying to find some. And then I, then I find out that Don Korb has been doing extensive research for decades on this and trying to find a way to take care of, of this problem. And really, I think the diagnosis really boils down to, for the vast majority of practitioners, is if that patient is bothered in the, in the morning and there isn't some type of a, a raging blepharitis, uh, then you have to look at some kind of a lid seal uh, inefficiency, some kind of an inadequate that's causing that uh, desiccative stress nocturnally. I think that, you know, definitely a few things to dig a little bit into symptom and time of day is huge. And that is something if you don't ask, you're going to completely miss um, because you just assume whenever they tell you might be happening all day long. So I always, you know, ask that to my patients, what's the symptom and what time of day? Now, sometimes they might say overnight, not first thing in the morning, but it's the same thing. They get up to go to the bathroom and that's when they notice it. Um, and the other thing I think, you know, is that staining pattern that you're describing. And you can catch this in your younger patients if you happen to see them earlier in the day, just like you said, because it has yet to heal. But then in our patients that stop compensating or being able to catch up with that desiccation, you see it, you know, longer in the day. And then our therapies don't work. One of the things that shocked me was... Um, some of Don Korb's research that said 80% of patients that were on therapeutics and not responding probably had a nighttime problem. Um, you know, that was really kind of an, a wake up moment for me um, that made me now start checking all of my dry eye patients um, with that core blacky light test. And then the other thing I wanted to kind of dig into is, okay, you've identified the problem. We have the tool to do this already. It's not going to cost us anything to add this to our clinic and not even really a lot of time. But then, like you mentioned, the treatments, you know, you know, one thing that we don't think about sometimes is what we ask our patients to do. And, and I have had to use ointments myself. And I don't know if you have, but they're not easy to put in your own eye. You know, and then if I was a 60, you know, maybe a 70-year-old lady, I can only imagine my dexterity is going to be worse. Um, so I think some of the science maybe has changed with the way they change some of the tubes, like going from metal to the plastic. But sometimes when you open up the tube, you're like losing half your ointment before you even get near your eye. <laughs> it's just me. I personally, I like love an ointment, I, but, I, but it is cumbersome to patients. And I actually made a video on how to put an ointment in for patients because I think that's also part of it. It's like sits on the lower lid and then they blink and then this big blob kind of comes out of the eye. So you're right. It, it is kind of a lot to ask of patients sometimes. So, so there, there are a lot of different therapies in terms of how to treat someone with this problem, but none of these are home run therapies. And so Doug, I do want to ask you, I know that you have um, helped develop a new device. That's a, a daily kind of disposable device on how to help patients keep their lids sealed while they're sleeping. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, certainly, because the uh, some of the other treatments with the lid weights, those just never worked, and it wouldn't. It really wouldn't work, and and uh, people had a real difficult time. You talk about dexterity, putting ointment in. Well, you try to put little weights on the lid, uh, even more difficult. Uh, and and different tapes and and things like that. They just would tear out eyelashes. They would cause uh, hypersensitivity reactions. Actually, before you before you start, how about what patients tell each other with like the saran wrap on their eye and tape? Yeah. That seems like that is desperation. It is. It is. And it, I, I mean, yeah, when somebody gets to that point, you know, they want help. And that's what, what really, uh, you know, it was driving me as that type of patient that was so frustrated and it was continuing, it was progressing. And yet you were throwing everything at them and you could maybe slow it down, but you couldn't. So what I was in search of is an adhesive material. Uh, and what I had to find first before I had the design was something that was hypoallergenic, uh, latex-free, uh, and then discovered that uh, having some porous nature, having fenestrations to actually let uh, the eyelid and the sudoriferous glands breathe so you didn't get uh, just a lot of perspiration underneath that and have the adhesive come off. But you had, had to have adhesive that was not going to be irritating and that a patient could then successfully wear that never happened with some of the transport tape that that is out there. Uh, Then it came down to really getting the design and and the the, uh, different iterations of the product have been in size and shape and trying to get something that fits the the globe uh, and will adhere. Because of course, on the convex uh, upper lid, things are gonna adhere very easily. On the concave lower lid, it's a little bit more of a challenge because that anatomy varies so much. Uh, but the uh, the product that we uh, we really commercialized at this point, which is Sleep Tight, uh, it is a hypo uh, hypoallergenic uh, uh, latex free porous material. And what we found is also that it required some doctor time to actually help the patient work through how to properly use it. So they could actually adhere it to the upper lid, have it secure enough to the lower lid that they couldn't see any hand motion. They shouldn't be able to see any hand motion out of that. And that means that the eye is then closed and then it has to be secure enough and holding that it would last all night long. And I always have my patients check first thing in the morning. Is the is it still where you don't have any hand motion, you don't have any light coming through because then we know we were successful. And those patients will immediately be able to tell that difference because now they understand that all we're doing with this is making the eyelids work the way they were designed. That's all we're doing with it. And I always just start out a, a patient on one eye and I'll hopefully can identify uh, the eye that's worse because I'd like them to compare it with the other. I, I tell them it may take a month to really get your technique down, get it to where you can keep that eye closed. And if you can keep that eye closed, and then what happens is when they come back in a month, many of the patients have said, it makes such a difference that now I'm using it on the other eye too. So I have about 60, 62% of my patients actually use it bilaterally. The other 38% feel a little claustrophobic so they'll do it on one eye one night one eye the next and that's fine because you're lowering inflammation 50 percent at night then by by accomplishing that so it really was a development of getting the right product getting the right design to hold it and make it uh and and but when i say it really does need some doctor input on it, it does 
because you have to encourage the patient. And sometimes they look and they say, it just seems like it's too simple. You know, when you've prescribed all these sophisticated drugs, you've done all these other things for me. And this seems so simple, but it's interesting. If you ask any of my patients that are using them, what is it doing? They will tell you it's making the eyelid work the way it was designed. <laughs> and when you ask them, what are these medications doing? What are these procedures doing? They go, oh, I don't know, but the doctor told me it was going to get better. <laughs> so it, it's really nice when something is simplistic and they understand many, many patients have come back and they go, wow, what drug is in this? It works so good. And I'll say there's no drug in it. We're just keeping the eye uh, from leaking air at nighttime and, you know, trying to keep some of this drying stress from your eye at nighttime. So, but the, the key has really been starting them uh, on one eye, letting them get good at that, bringing them back, checking them again. And I always have, I, I, you know, I never give a sample to a patient. I show them how to put it on. I'll have them look in the mirror, hold, have a little handheld mirror, look in a mirror, and then I'll tell them to at the front, they can get a box because I want them committed. I would like them to use, and I'd like them to give it, give it a chance. Uh, quite often with samples, number one, patients won't ever use it, or they'll try it one time. And it does take, you know, I'll tell them there's an art within this science and you're going to have to get, you're going to have to get at this point. And people tell me all kinds of creative things that they've done uh, on how to, and, and it's, it's interesting because that just helps you be able to pass it on to colleagues, pass it on to uh, uh, other patients as well in terms of, but it really is a very, very simple concept, but something that was difficult to actually uh, create. And uh, Don Korb was so gracious when he found out about the, the product, he said, I, he goes, I have so much research on this. I know how much of a problem this is. And I said, well, there were times I felt we were on an island, <laughs> you know? And uh, so he was very, very gracious in, in sharing the information, sharing the studies and saying, you know, if we can get this out to patients in this type of a manner that's so affordable, uh, I mean, patients don't even blink at the cost compared to what they pay for copays. So it's, it's been, I was just checking out the website um, and I have been able to use it, but you know, even just talking with you, we didn't get a lot of instruction when, you know, you kind of, I was gracious enough to get thrown a box at a meeting or something so that I could try it. So I do really appreciate that. But, you know, just having this conversation is really great because I love what you're saying about, you know, sleeping with just one eye because that was one of the pitfalls with some of the, you know, masks. I love, you know, I do love ICO 4.0. It's like if I was going to use something for my patients, I was going for that sometimes, you know, oftentimes before the ointment and the gels, since, you know, I struggle with them myself, but patients would wake up in the middle of the night and it's in their bed, not on their face, or they couldn't tolerate the mask. Um, and they would feel closed in. So most of my patients actually did end up using the clear version of that. So it's kind of interesting what you were saying about one eye that would make those patients feel a whole lot better um, and you're still helping and they would just alternate. Um, so I think that's you know really interesting. Um, and also that hand motion um, just to make sure that they know they have it secured the way that it should be. So those are some really great tips. But when you're talking about you know, cost to the patient, maybe let us know a little bit about that. And what's your plan um, now that the product is live? Um, is it, 
retailed through our offices? Do you have a website? You know, tell us a little bit about how that's working. Well, and it's interesting because I think the dynamics of the pandemic really changed uh, some of what we, I mean, I, we were all for retailing through the offices and uh, so many doctors told us they'd like to have it available to give it to the patient, you know, to let the patient buy it, but then they were fine with them ordering it online. And so with that, we're actually setting up a model where we identify the doctor and, you know, they then have some uh, some compensation for that if they decide to do the online model. Because they're saying, especially as the price of gas went up, they said people don't want to travel in to get this. And there's some, there's some resistance, especially in cities, uh, to do that. So we've actually found the the online to be uh, pretty favorable, but initially get them started uh, on it and then tell them how to, uh, how to get it online. Uh, but both models will be available. So I, I, I don't know if you know this, Doug, but when we were at Academy, Leslie and I were at a table with a bunch of people and we see you come in, okay, like to this like bar area that we're at. And we were all like, oh, hey, there's Doug. We got to ask him and see if we can get some samples of these little of these sleep tight samples. That's probably where you got yours, Leslie, because I got the sample too. And we were all like, oh, let's try these. And I, I used it myself and I I'm sure this is not the slogan that you're going to be going for, but I did feel like it was like a post-it in terms of like how um, not sticky it was, but still very effective. Like I put it on my eye. I did not feel like I was going to rip off my eyelashes when I you know, took this off. But I, I do want to hear some of your tips on what you say to a patient and how they should be applying this. Because you say there's, yeah, I do have to you know educate and like instruct them on how to do it. So what are your tips that you tell a patient? Well, the biggest tip I do, and it actually helps get uh, a little bit more therapy on, and then I make sure they also get a lid cleanser, something like OcuSoft, uh, when they do, because I want them to so clean your lashes, but also clean your upper lid, clean your lower lid, so that there's no there's no makeup, there's no oil, there's no uh, night creams, there's nothing like that, and even for guys, just the natural body oil to get that out, because then you're going to get much better adherence. So I kind of combine and then get the get the benefit of them actually doing regular lid cleansing as well, or our lash cleansing as well. Uh, so that's probably one of the biggest things. And the next thing is I'll say, don't put it all the way up in the cul-de-sac. Put it about halfway down on the upper lid. And the reason is it's going to adhere very, very well to that convex surface. It's the concave surface that we want a little bit more. And then I'll tell them to turn their fingers sideways and then press right below the lash line to really get that adherence. Uh because we want to make sure. And then the biggest thing is, that, again, that hand motion, because you don't want them to secure it open. <laughs> because, uh, you know, they're going to they're gonna feel that. Uh, and it's interesting, when people get over that hurdle, they just say, it's amazing the difference between the two eyes. But you have to have it secure. You have to have it where it's going to stay in all night. Patients are very pleased that it doesn't pull their lashes out. Uh, well, that's what I was going to say. I feel bad for whatever versions you had before, because hopefully there wasn't significant lash loss on any of the versions that got you here. But when I looked <laughs> at that, that was my first concern was if I'm taping my eyelid shut, am I going to lose my eyelashes? Yeah. And, and actually in the, in the clinical study, uh, we had uh, 60 people in this, in this clinical study. And one of the things that we did is we introduced uh, the sleep tight and then we uh, 
actually took them out of that and put them into transport tape. And when we looked at the results with that, I mean, that's exactly what we found. We found just hypersensitivity to the tape. We found them pulling out eyelashes and they said that was the worst torture they ever went through. Mm -hmm. uh, but we did that. We didn't put anybody on the transport tape first. We let them have the uh, what was going to uh, what was going to work and what wasn't going to be obnoxious uh, first, and then transfer. But I mean, the the statistics on it were overwhelming. I mean, it was. I think it was sixty out of sixty people said, "Oh, I mean," and they, we let them rate it as effectiveness and ease of use and things like that. And the numbers were just off the charts in in how they felt about that because you know that's what everybody thinks well it's just tape well it's not just tape it's actually something that is not going to do what tape does so if doctors want to um you know purchase this for their patients i you should look at the platform maybe you know about this but dry eye rescue i use that in my office where i send a lot of patients there but if, if doctors want to purchase some of these for their practice or direct patients where should they send them uh they should go to uh i sleep tight e-y-e sleep tight t-i-t-e dot com and uh, you, you definitely have to get, you can't put just the letter I and you can't put sleep, T-I-G-H-T. It has to be isleeptight.com, T-I-T-E. Uh, and then there's a doctor section and there's a patient section uh, that they can, uh, they can actually log into. I'm checking that out right now. And I even like your little slogan, sleep tight, sleep right, because that's what you're teaching your patients. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, we're going to be putting up instructional videos and we're going to be filming in another week uh, to really put some good education videos up to help both doctors and, uh, and patients uh, when they have questions uh, on how to go this. But it, it's one of those things that as I as it started to develop. And then uh, Paul Karpecki, of course, is involved with me as well. Got it over to Paul. And uh, it was so amazing because I was so intensely involved with it and thought, you know, I mean, my baby's beautiful, right? So <laughs> I went over to Paul and uh, he, in a month, he called me back and said, it's the most amazing thing I've seen. And I've now been able to do things and get people responding that I've never, and I, you know, some of these moments that you have with these patients, uh, when they say that, and now it's every day in clinic that patients say, and I'll say, well, how are you doing with the sleep tight? And they go, wouldn't sleep without it. I just wouldn't sleep without it. So, and the cost to the patient, really, if they're doing it, uh, you know, just unilaterally, it'll be about $20 a month. If they're doing it bilaterally, it'd be about $40 a month. And with that kind of cost, uh, I mean, that's, you know, pretty mild copay. I, mean, so have... I was just looking at the price of tears and couldn't believe it. Um, I saw some $60 or some 60 vial preservative free for $40. Wow. So I think sometimes doctors don't even realize, you know, what patients are paying for some of the things that are over the counter. So I think that's definitely within reason. And I like the way that, you know, that you position that at, you know, 20 to $40. Yeah. And, and I th one of the things that's been really important is has been patients that have responded so that I've really been able to titrate their treatment. You know, so if we can lower that inflammation, are we going to go longer after we do lid procedures? Are we going to have them on, you know, less, uh, less medications? I mean, there's a whole bunch of upside for the patients uh, in, in this, and that really does motivate the patients as well. 
Well, I'm sure that Dr. Korb is going to see, you know, be excited to see what studies come out now that this exists in the world, because I know he has always been an advocate for that nocturnal, um, you know, lid, inadequate lid seal and the evaporative stress and what he thought was going to be the impact to the meibomian gland. So it'll be really kind of interesting to see what kind of studies come when people can do their own, you know, case studies with your product. And I'm sure yeah, he'll be anxiously awaiting some of those results. He will. And he was very gracious. He wrote me a, a wonderful note, said uh, this could be the biggest contribution to public health and dry eye that's ever been released. And with all the stuff he did, it was just so flattering to have him say something like that uh, about, I mean, that was kind of like, wow. <laughs> that is, again, another one of those moments you print out the email or save the card and put it up somewhere that you can always remember, because that is definitely a... A, a exciting thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was very exciting to have it. And then he immediately got it to some patients and some of those were the early patients. And what, what tells you it's working is when patients reorder. I mean, that's what's really good, you know, cause doctors can get excited about it and then wax and wane. But if patients are reordering, uh, that's, that's where you really start to see and feel some inertia going that, yeah, they're responding. And that's, you know, like Paul and I talk, that's our clinic days now is hearing, hearing those kind of stories from patients. This is what I love about eye care. There's always great innovations coming and, um, you know, way, ways to help our, you know, dry eye patients. So thank you for thinking of <laughs> this product taking, you know, 10 years to come up with this product. <laughs> I was pretty excited when I found this material. It was like, ooh, cautiously optimistic, but it uh, then... Then it's then it took uh, in product development another couple of years. Well, great. Thanks. Thanks so much, Doug, for talking with us tonight and talking about the product, too. Um, certainly, I can't wait to try this on, on patients. And uh, I appreciate you being here with us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the uh, the opportunity. And now for the to the point wrap up. When struggling to get relief for your dry eye patients, remember to examine what could be happening while they sleep. Inadequate lid seal and nocturnal lag up palmos are big culprits for those patients that are resisting your traditional therapies. Research shows up to 80% of those resistant to our traditional therapies have some sort of nighttime exposure. What to do for these patients and new relief is just around the corner like we heard today. And introducing your patient to some kind of gel or ointment, a sleep mask, or even new tape with sleep type can really improve your patient outcomes. 